Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Uh, if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, let me just remind you that Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we've got some pretty cool cards to talk to you about this week. But before we jump into all of that, I would like to announce, actually, I would like to help Ben announce the following winners of our Porsche book giveaway. Yes, thank you so much for everyone who entered. We actually had a really great response to the contest. And as I mentioned in the past episode, all the names were numbered and then randomized. And then I hit a random number generator and it picked out two winners. And those two winners are Blake Swan and Eric Ortiz. So Blake and Eric, if you could get in touch with us, uh, Sammy, how could they do that? Well, they could do that uh, very easily by going to the unnamed automotive podcast website that's unnamed automotive podcast.com there's a contact form there um you will uh get in touch with us and we'll we'll coordinate the um the delivery of the book so congratulations guys exactly if or if you want to get in touch with me on instagram that's cool too just send me your mailing address and i will send it to the publisher and they will they will send the book directly to you and we hope that you enjoy it okay perfect so uh ben i want to talk to you about some cars how do we do that right now? What do you want to you want you want you should take it away because you've got the more interesting car of the two of us. Here we go. Well, I spent some time with the 2019 Mazda MX-5 Miata, and this time it was the soft top, which mm-hmm. I am always uh, of the two, the RF, which is the re- retractable hard top thingy, or uh, versus the traditional soft top. I much prefer the traditional car. There's a bunch of reasons, mostly visibility, and I feel like the cabin in the hard top car just feels you're kind of cramped. It's it's having that buttress behind you really removes the sense of space that you get in the open top version of the car. In any case, uh, it, this is I hadn't driven the car in maybe a year, and in my opinion, you should drive a Miata at least once a year. It doesn't matter what <laughs> model year it is. It doesn't matter what condition it's in. It's good for the soul, and it really reminds you of what driving should be like. Would you agree with that, Sammy? I mean, we're privileged enough to drive to get the chance to drive a Miata a year. Uh, I'm not sure everyone else gets that opportunity. What that I mean, we if do. you have a friend who has a Miata, or like a, a a relative, or maybe someone leaves the keys in one in a parking lot, and you're walking by, and you just kind of look in, and you, you seize the day. Is what I'm saying. Right. Um, you're not legally responsible for whatever happens after you <laughs> seize the day, but. You also make a very good point about the difference between the soft top and the RF or the retractable fastback, which feels more like a Targa than it does a convertible. Definitely. And I think the soft top is the better choice. Not only is it uh, a true convertible with a very easy to use soft top, it's also much more affordable. And I think it's also lighter than the hard top. I mean, rationally, it should be lighter than the hard top. It is lighter and it's less complex. And anytime you get those two words together, you're typically dealing with a better vehicle. And if it's a sports car, even more so. Uh, the, the Mazda, though, for 2019, not a lot of changes except for one big change. Uh, yeah, talk to me about this ginormous change because I experienced this a while ago. I want to know: is this the first time you've driven the 2019? No, I that... drove it. I drove it last year, and I believe we talked okay. about it on the podcast. Actually, I think it was a, around this time. I drove the the 18 and the 19 relatively back to back, and the big change between these two cars is the engine. So everyone out there who has never driven a Miata has always said, oh, it needs more power. And that's inaccurate. But what Mazda did with the 2019 model is they Gave it more power, but the way they gave it power is more important, in my opinion, than the actual boost in in ponies itself. 
Right. Basically, from what I understand is, although the engine is, I think, you know, kind of a new, it's an, I believe it's a new engine, but it's the same displacement, and they also, not, sorry, not a new engine. It's got new parts in it. Isn't that the right way to yeah, describe it? Yeah, it's like it? the Fast and Furious franchise. It's, so what is it? Um, <clears throat> new movie, <laughs> original parts? I don't know. But uh, it's, so it's a two-liter force. <coughs> excuse me. Uh-oh. It's a two-liter four-cylinder engine, and this year it puts out 181 horsepower and 151 pound-feet of torque. And if you're a Miata fanatic, you know that's like 26 horsepower more than it had the year before. It's a little bit more torque, like three, three pound-feet. It's not a big deal. But the more importantly is that the red line of the car is now 700 RPM higher than it was before. And even more important than that is when you rev it to red line, that's where the new power lives. Right, so you'll get that 181 horsepower at 7,000 RPM, which feels really good, and I actually really enjoy that that greater amount of leeway between gears. Is that the best way to describe it? Like, you don't need to be shifting gears as often as you need to before, right? Well, what I the way I see it is. There, it, you could rev the the engine in the 2018 Miata fairly high, but there was no mm-hmm. reward for doing so. Like you weren't getting more power. It's like my Datsun, which is R.I.P. My Datsun, which we'll talk about later uh-huh. <laughs> later this 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 podcast. But uh, there's no power above like 5500 in, in my L28 six cylinder engine. But the red line's at like 7000, so you keep revving for no reason. And it was like that in the older Miata. You were just kind of generating more harsh mechanical noise <laughs> than anything else. <laughs> But yeah. the new car, it wants to rev, and it's like a willing co-conspirator along there with you, pushing you to push the car harder, and it's just more fun to drive that way. And that's the thing I took away the most from the 2019 Miata. It just, it's more fun in the same package, and that's pretty impressive. That is really impressive, and I also like that um, Mazda wasn't afraid to redo the, the motor and or rethink the motor in their MX-5 that had, like, literally just come out. I think the, the new ND came out maybe tw- as a 2016 or 2017 model year vehicle, and they've already changed the motor um, that quickly. I mean, in comparison to some other sports cars out there that are still um, holding dearly to, well, they're basically the same that they they were then when they first came out. And I'm thinking um, not only the, the Subaru BRZ and the Toyota 86, but the Nissan 370Z, for example. Yeah, well, that's kind, in- of, that's kind of lost in time, I think, at this point, <laughs> that vehicle. It's it's, but, it's 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 still I mean it's still enjoyable to drive but don't make the mistake of driving it back to back with a more modern competitor. Exactly. So what I'm saying is that Mazda isn't afraid to add something to what's already a modern car, and I thought that was a really that shows I think really good um, acumen from the from the automaker, especially because the MX-5 is a is a halo vehicle for them in, in, of sorts right now. And the fact that I had, I think, 155 horsepower in the past, yeah, um, which is less than the previous generation MX-5 before it, which had 167, I think, means something. And I think they just did not want to live that live with that um, on their conscience when they could make an, a motor that was better, more engaging, and more powerful. And you kind of have to wonder when that car came out when it did, if the motor that it came with was a placeholder. Uh, they they had the 1.5 liter for the Japanese and European markets, mm-hmm. and they seemed more excited about that engine than they did about the 2 liter. 
And now that they have a 2-liter that kind of is rev-happy like the 1.5-liter is, it kind of feels like this is the engine they should have had in the car all along. And I think the last time I spoke about this car on the podcast, 365 or so days ago, I had the same impression. So I'm I'm happy that the car has is, is consistent in terms of how I feel about it. Like, it wasn't just, oh, this is new and I'm into it. It's like, no, a year later, I still really think this is how the Miata should have been when it first came out. There's still one thing about the car that I really don't like. Sammy, and I think you know what yeah. that is, or I'm going to let you guess what that is. I I have something that I don't like about it. Uh, depending on the trim level you got the vehicle in, um, if you got a higher trim level vehicle, it comes with a bunch of driver's assistance. Is that um, one of the features that you do, don't like in your car? Well, that that's actually something I I was going to talk about later. It's not the big thing though that, that keeps me back from the car. It's the problem. Um, the the problem is the steering. Oh come on! It's not that bad. It is the worst steering that has ever been in a Miata. <laughs> I realize that's, that's a high a, bar. It is a very high bar. It I, is perfectly accept. Is... It's perfectly acceptable. Let's mm-hmm. let's put it at that. But it is not engaging. It's not as engaging. This is now what I would describe as BMW steering. It's not the worst steering, but it's it's you know it's an electric power steering system. Uh, and it's lost a lot of the feel that it used to have. I mean, it used to feel so natural. It used to be like like it was tied to your hands so, <laughs> it so normally. It used to be hydraulic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it used to feel very, very um, engaging. And now you can sense a tiny like, – I honestly – I don't think it's that big. There's a bit of numbness in the steering. It's definitely quite um, numb. It's, 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 what... the, it's the most numb part of the car. So I think that's what makes it seem – so dramatic of a of a difference i'm not sure if they've done any tweaking to it it feels somewhat better than it did when i first drove it at the launch but uh, it is still uh, it you do not have that sensation of what the road is doing under the front wheels the rest of the chassis is so good that it kind of you know how like when you go blind your other senses fill in what's going on yeah i know exactly like you can touch a stranger's face and then you can picture that stranger's face you know what i'm saying i love the way you describe this when you go blind that's me in particular every time i go blind I I do all my other my especially my sense of smell really picks up. Isn't but every yes. time I go blind the name of your um, acoustic album? It is. <laughs> but uh, it's it's the rest of the chassis on the Miata fills in the gaps that the steering can't provide because it's it's everything else about the vehicle is fantastically tuned. So I appreciate that. I just wish it had hydraulic steering because yes, I live in the past and in fact I own cars with no power assist in the steering <laughs> because I'm just a cantankerous stick in the mud who's out of touch with the modern market. Um, but you were saying you didn't like the uh, the drivers the drivers aid, Sammy. There's one drivers aid in particular that bothers me to no end, and it's the um, blind spot monitoring system. Oh yeah, that's the worst. Um, it, it is absolutely it's brutal. It really anticipates the car being much bigger and maybe slower than it really is, <laughs> and I think that's so funny. You now you had the model, you had the soft top, and. Unlike the RF, you can just look over your shoulder and there's nothing there. So you can clearly see who or what is beside you. And if there's nothing there or if you have that clearance, you can just signal and go for it. But for whatever reason, the blind spot indicate or blind spot monitoring system in the in the MX-5 just seems calibrated wrong and constantly beeps. Uh, it constantly beeps at you in a in a very 
disorienting way, a really disappointing way, actually. It, it totally constantly beeps at you all the time to the point where you just ignore it now. And, like, it yeah. doesn't mean anything. And that's – it's 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 become safety wallpaper. And at that point, it's no longer helping you. It's, like, the exact opposite of what you want it to do. And I hadn't thought about it, but the way you described it, that it thinks the car is bigger than it is – that is a perfect description for how it acts because it's always like I'm well ahead of the vehicle I'm passing. I put my turn signal on. I start to move over and it beeps at me every yeah. single time. Uh, I think that's one of the that's one of the most difficult things to get used to with the car. I imagine that the lower trim level models are um, no. It's are, standard across the board. It's standard across the board, and I think turning it off is also like a, a long button press or something like that. It's not just like a an easy thing to to turn on and I off. Did, I didn't even bother. You know what? I put the top <laughs> down. I can't hear it anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and, um, and speaking of can't hear things with the top up or down, one of the other things I'm disappointed about in the car, or not disappointed, maybe more surprised with the top up you can hear everything that's happening outside the car to the point where i thought the rear window was missing a lot of the time and i would turn around with the top up when i was sitting in like let's say i just got in the car to um, pull away from the curb or something i never drove it with the top up because who does that but um when i was like just getting in the car it sounded like the top was down even though the top was up like i could hear people talking i could hear traffic noise it's really disconcerting and it's it's a little weird like I don't remember my own Miata. I had a mid-90s model being quite that loud inside, even though it must have been. It must have been way, way louder. But mm-hmm. uh, it's surprising for a 2019 model to be that loud. Um, there are a couple things I really, really love about this car. Uh, the engine does not get enough credit. Now, we talked about the red line. We talked about the, the higher horsepower. It is extremely responsive. I love the way it responds to uh, throttle input. It, it just feels so much livelier than so many other four-cylinders um, out today. Do you agree with me on that? Uh, yeah, definitely. And uh, the car I drove was a, uh, a club package that came with the Brembo brakes, um, 17-inch BBS. I think they're BBS rims. And mm-hmm. uh, just uh, I'm not sure if the shock tuning is a little more hardcore, but uh, the whole car itself, just aside from the steering, felt quite lively. And then uh, that transmission... I don't know if there's a transmission that feels more direct than what you get in the modern uh, ND Miata. It feels so good for a manual transmission, uh, as a manual transmission. Uh, there, there should be no other way to get this car. Yeah, uh, the six-speed automatic is an absolute waste of time with this car. If you want a, no, I don't mean that in a in a flippant way, but if you want a self-shifting roadster, uh, buy a Z4. It's it's a much better implementation. If if you want to enjoy a high revving four-cylinder naturally aspirated, you're going to want that manual transmission so that you can really get in there with those revs. Yeah. Otherwise, a turbocharged engine like in the Z4 that we talked about a few weeks ago, that's where you're going to benefit from the automatic and the, the boundless torque at the bottom end. What's wrong with you, man? There is an MX-5, a base MX-5 is $27,000 with an automatic transmission. A Z4 has got to be twice the price, or a Z4 is twice the price of that, easily. You're saying that just save your money up for twice as long as you currently did, and then just go and get a Z4. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just, like, save your pennies and your dimes. Or, you know, if you're walking down the street and you see one with the keys in it. (laughs) Opportunity, Opportunity knocks, right? Right. Um, what do you think of the styling of the new MX-5? Is it first of all? Did you have it in that red color? That yeah, um, Soul Red Mica, which I think is like a five hundred dollar option. Um, I don't know if I'd pay more for the paint. It looks good. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of other colors the Miata looks good in. Well, there's actually not a lot of other colors. I think there's like what that might be the only color. <laughs> Everything no, else there's is a, like there's a blue now for uh, 2019. Okay, so there's a blue, a red, and the rest is silver, gray, black, white, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really like the styling when it first came out. I didn't dislike it. It just kind of left me cold. Now it's grown on me. There were times where I caught myself turning around to look at the car as I walked away from it, which is always a good sign. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think some angles are somewhat awkward. The rear deck on the car it feels a bit abrupt compared mm-hmm. to the rest of it. But the angles at the front, which which had turned me off somewhat when it was initially introduced, I am for some reason my brain's flipped around and it's like, yeah, everything's cool now. This is this is a, <laughs> this is a good looking car. I, I don't know if I'm being programmed by like styling trends as as years <laughs> move on. I just become acclimated to what they want me to like. But anyway, mm-hmm. I'm I'm very simple as a human being, so that's entirely possible. Uh, speaking of simple, then I want to know what you think the car needs going forward. I know you said that the steering needs to be better. Yeah, but... the steering needs to be hydraulic again, and they need to stop caring about fuel mileage. That's, <laughs> that's what I think it has to be. What is the uh, mileage? I mean, what would, in what way would you think? Well, the... because I, the, the move away from, from hydraulic yes. steering is partially related to efficiency. It's also partially related to driver's aid. So you can't really, yeah. it's harder to have a self-steering car uh, if it's not an electric assist. Right. Okay. Then let's continue the, the, the conversation. What do you think an MX-5, especially today with so many cars that are losing their that personality, that fun-to-drive element that the MX-5 exudes, is there it's, anything that needs to be done soon or for the next generation MX-5 um, to keep it intact? I don't know. I, I don't think the car it's is a tough as... Question to ask, I, I don't think the car is as fun to drive as the previous generation. I do wow. think it, I do think it is still fun. Okay. And one of the most fun cars you can currently purchase. But we're we're kind of in a different era now. Uh, we talked a lot about hot hatches this summer and how the bar has really moved in terms of performance. And it's left cars like the GTI behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, cars that were once the standard bearer. Uh, the Miata is still probably close to the purest driving experience you can get. Although cars like the, the Alpha 4C are, are kind of right up there in terms of what right. they're delivering. For, for a lot more money. Um, right. But at the entry level, sure, it, it's hard to find a better driving car. I think a BRZ is very, very close in terms of the fun it has to offer. You can't put the top down, which is makes it a, a no-buy for a lot of people. But and, um, and let me say this from somebody who owns a, a Scion FRS 2013. The throttle response and the transmission between the two, they feel like a generation apart. They really do feel that much better, I think, in the uh, MX-5. I think controversially, I think there probably should be a version of the Miata that has more power just so that they can expand sales past the uh, core that they have now. Because it's not a strong seller. It has an established audience. But it's hard not to imagine what a turbocharged version of the car would do to the vehicle's image. And if that would kind of raise, you know, rising tide raises all boats, you'd sell more turbos, you'd probably sell more base models too by people who were attracted to the showroom by the turbo, but then eventually couldn't afford it and settled for the regular car. Okay, hold up. This car just came out with a new powertrain or a new engine that is more powerful than before. Yeah, but you asked me about the future, and I'm talking about the future. If you want the Miata to survive, this is probably what has to happen. And you think that engine is... is is an important aspect of it. I think that it would provide a different image to the car that might make it more interesting to people who are buying Veloster Ns and Golf Rs and all that kind of stuff. I don't know, man. It still seems pretty fast. Zero to 60 happens in under six seconds in this yeah, car, which is I'm not very disagreeing. Quick. I'm not disagreeing, but people look at numbers when they shop. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of people didn't buy the BRZ because it's 200, ho- 200 horsepower when it was introduced, right? 
People were like, yeah. why would I get that when I can get 300 horsepower from a Mustang V6? Like that, that is a, that is an actual, I think, thought process for some people when they buy. And I'm not talking about what I personally want, just yeah. what I think maybe would help the car in the future. Okay, one last question has nothing to do with the with with any. It's not a, it's not a hard question like that last one. I'm asking you if um, first of all you had this during the summer. Did you have good weather while you were driving? Yeah, the MX-5? yeah, top down every day. Okay, that wasn't the question. Um, <laughs> did, you, <laughs> did you see any other MX-5s on the road of varying generations? And was there any acknowledgement between the two? I have a zero eye contact policy whenever I drive, so I can't answer that question. Oh. I do the stare and drive like Brian Earl Spilner <laughs> and Too Fast, Too Furious. So if I have a if I have a passenger, I have no idea what's happening around me. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been subject to that way too many times. It's I learned it from you. I learned it from you. I learned it from you, I think. No, you learned it <laughs> from just, uh, Roman Pierce. That's who you learned just, it from. I think we just stared at each other and did it. Um that's too bad. I honestly, I love cars that immediately make you a part of a community the moment you're in them. And I think the MX-5 is one of those. I think people who drive an MX-5 know that they're in a very unique vehicle that doesn't get compared to other sports cars, like say the Mustang or or like that 370Z that I said before. They are not. There's a. It's a different world. It's a different thing. They understand each other a little bit better, and I think that's really cool. If that makes I, sense to, to to you, I will tell you this. Uh, I became immediately judgmental of any convertible I saw that didn't have the top down. That's, I hate that. That's what a Mi- driving a Miata makes me. <laughs> but I'm like, and sometimes I just try to stare at them. Like, yeah, yeah, my top's down. What's up? You know, like that's it's it just feels weird, and I transition immediately into that headspace. I think that's so funny. I know uh, I'll, you're not the only one, but I know other journalists who are like, oh, when I have an, uh, a convertible, I will never drive it with the top up. No, what's the like, point? There's definitely a, a something that you need to test about the vehicle with the top up to make sure, you know. No, I don't something. write for those people. <laughs> That's not my audience. And people who are buying the car will at one point have to put the roof up for some reason. No, There's also never. that other thing that if it's raining, if you go fast enough, you can you you won't get wet. Yeah, 100%. Doesn't, that doesn't matter if you come to a stop sign or a stop light, which is what happens in the real world. You can't just go fast through them. And not get wet. You know, you've got a lot of rationalizations for why the top has to be up. And maybe you should think about that. Why? <laughs> what makes you... <laughs> what is it about those rationalizations that makes you feel so safe, Sammy? <laughs> I understand that a sports car is, is generally... And a convertible is generally seen as an emotional, maybe less rational purchase. Oh, it's but a totally irrational some... purchase to own a road car. I mean, there's no something... room in this car for anything. <laughs> have to be something about it that you have to comment on with the roof up and why i did i said when when i get in and the roof's up it sounds you immediately want to take it down i know i I, it sounds like it's already down Hmm. (laughs) like noise wise um i love this car i think it's a i think it's going to be something that we remember um very fondly going forward this generation even if you think the steering is the worst it's ever been oh it's gonna be uh, it's way better than the robot steering that's coming <laughs> I, exactly. know it's, I know it's what i'm when i'm riding piggyback style on our android masters somewhere um yeah i'm gonna miss the miata's electric power steering um and i think this this generation, is 20, especially this ND2, as they call it, with the new engine, it's going to be – it says something about the automaker. Something will happen in the future, though, to Mazda. I don't know if you've, pay, you've been paying attention, um, but they're trying to go after a more premium 
uh, segment with their yeah. other vehicles. Yes. And I wonder if the MX-5 will ever make that transition. Well, in Canada, as you well know, it already has price-wise. <laughs> yeah, it's considerably more expensive. I mean, the U.S. is still very affordable, starting around twenty-five. But in Canada, you get you're pretty much spending thirty grand on a base Miata, and you can easily spend forty, forty-five. Uh, and that's it. It takes it out of the conversation for a lot of people. I mean, it, it, the BRZ is no longer really a competitor. It it, it becomes an, something that is a one of one situation. Whereas in the U.S., it's it's much more competitively priced. I think designed to get people in the driver's seat if they've never considered a Miata before. You're you're right, man. The um the the fully loaded RF GT in Canada is super expensive. It yeah, can, it can get to let's see. Oh yeah, we need to add all these packages. You see, that's the problem. It's just I, uh, I don't I don't get like if you're pricing a Miata to the point where you could get a Z4. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Or if you could get a really well loaded like um, convertible, like a two series convertible, or even a, a nice Mustang GT convertible, mm-hmm. uh, why would you spend that money on the Miata? It, it's diminishing returns at that point. I think the American pricing is much more in line with what the market's looking for. All in, it would be about forty eight thousand, um, <sighs> which is a lot of money. That is a lot of money. But speaking of a lot of money, uh, you drove okay. something quite expensive this week, I believe. Uh, it's not it it. Okay, I drove the 2020 Hyundai Palisade, which is the automaker's new three-row SUV. And uh, price-wise, I know it sounds like it's a lot of money. $44,700 is the MSRP. Uh, But that's for a fully loaded model that I drove. And it's kind of impressive, actually. And I wasn't expecting to be that that surprised and that um, uh, impressed by it. Because I drove the Telluride, and I thought that was a great car. But... Believe it or not, um, the Palisade and has some things going for it that the Telluride doesn't. So, like what? Like, um, like, first of all, what's your take before we get into the things it does better? What's your take on mm-hmm. the styling differences between these two vehicles? This is where I think is the biggest. Well, let's 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 go down to let's just talk about this car for some people who don't know. Um, the Telluride and the Palisade are almost identical in terms of specifications and um, beneath the sheet metal. They okay. have the same engine, they have the same platform, they have the same um, transmission, and they compete in the same segment, obviously, w- directly with one another, which I think is crazy. Um, in in Canada, now, I, you know I live in Canada, so I drive Canadian spec vehicles. The Telluride is only available in all-wheel drive, while the Palisade can start with a front-wheel drive model. So that's one difference that you can have there. I also find the Telluride to be a more rugged-looking vehicle. I think it's, I think it looks better than the Palisade, which looks a little inflated at certain angles, um, and it has this very like puffy cheeks-looking front end. Puffy if that cheeks. Makes, if that makes sense, the way the um, there's like these fog lights that are in the um, in the the outermost function of the front uh, bumper uh, really look exaggerated and and. I don't know. It looks kind of clown-like in that in that regard. But what really impressed me is the interior of the Palisade. This is where it takes a step apart from the um, Telluride. It has gorgeous leather upholstery. The one I had had all this beautiful uh, cream-colored, perforated and quilted stitched leather everywhere in the car. Not just the front seats, but in the second and third row as well. So and you had a, you had a high trim level version of the car. That's right, and it was also found on the door panels, and then. This is not like that accent, that kind of accents um, on the leather was not found in the Telluride. Although that had nice looking uh, leather, it just was up to the standard at all, at all. It looked like a completely 
different class of vehicle then. And I was so impressed with what the Palisade had to offer in terms of that interior design. And then uh, beyond the seats, it had this really nice uh, metallic accents and trim, um, which does what I what I the best way to describe it is that it looks like nothing else in a Hyundai, um, maybe even closer to what a Genesis would offer. And that to me is what really impressed me about the Palisade. Um, I think it was this close to being a true luxury um, vehicle. And that's proven with the interior design. Well, do you think that part of this is because Genesis has yet to release an actual SUV? I mean, th- wouldn't this be the one? I mean, what were, what are they waiting for? This I know. could have done it. it. It seems unusual to me, too. I'm not quite certain of their brand strategy. And it's... They don't the, have any SUVs. Not no, they, did, they don't. Do you think that the Genesis SUV is going to share this platform? Or do you think it's going to be something completely different? And... If not, is it going to be even more opulent? Like, how, how are they going to top the Palisade? From from how you describe it, it really seems like it, it should already, like, as you said, have a Genesis badge. It feels like a Genesis now. I don't know how they'll, I, I really don't know how they'll top it. Um, maybe in a different engine would be the, the number one thing that the Palisade could get. Um, what I think they they really dropped the ball on was this motor not that it's bad it just doesn't feel as extravagant as the rest of the car um so this is a 3.8 liter v6 it makes 291 horsepower and 262 pound feet of torque those aren't bad numbers i want to make sure that people hear me on that they're not they're totally average they're usable the car gets up to speed it can make passes very nicely but if you want to make something special, you need to surprise them with that element at the moment you press the, your foot on the throttle. And I think Genesis has some powertrains in its portfolio. They have a twin turbo V6 that sounds that feels really good. And in the past, they've had V8s. Could this do? Could this operate with any of those powertrains? That would be amazing. So uh, I don't know if a V8 front wheel drive based crossover is something that the market's really looking for. <laughs> well, I mean, I imagine that <laughs> when this arrives as a as a genesis it'll probably only offer this all-wheel drive i think that would do that i guess but i mean is it it, it does i don't know if they have a transverse mounted v8 application i i just i don't know i i think you're gonna see a turbocharged v6 um Mm -hmm. more likely than a v8 yeah i mean i was just i wasn't making we're just dreaming out loud of course i mean you asked me um i need to i need to admit though there are some so i i mentioned some things that they should one major thing that they the Telluride does not have is a digital gauge cluster. Um, I think you know me. I'm a huge fan of uh, digital gauge clusters. I think they look fantastic. I thought um, it was because you liked that they were so blank when you turned off the car. I thought that was your big thing. You're like, yeah, that, just blank, just empty, that. black emptiness. <laughs> I also love that. Uh, the Palisade has that um, and really nice uh, gauge cluster, uh, digital ga- digital gauge cluster, and they also have that um, like uh, Hyundai's approach to. What's it called? Uh, Lane, Honda Lane Watch, which is a camera that shows you the feed going on beside your your car. Yeah, no thanks. To, no thanks to that for me. It shows on both sides, and it also there are blind spot monitors in the mirrors and in the head up display. So there's like basically there is no excuse for you to not know what's going on in your blind spot in this car, unless you're um, totally distracted by these screens and like hit something yeah. in front of you. Oh my god! Um, additionally, I need to talk about these accents. All of the knobs, all of the buttons in this car just feel perfect. They feel so good. They feel so unlike a Hyundai, and I think that's amazing. 
what I said last time about the Telluride, which was this is the direction that Kia is showing us with their cars. They went from Stinger to Telluride, and you can see that lineage between the two. The Palisade, I don't see that that relationship throughout the rest of the Hyundai product just yet. Um, it'll be interesting to see if there's anything in the Palisade that trickles into other vehicles in terms well, of design. What about or... the what about the Sonata that you drove that has the crazy design on the front? With the, like, the, now that the... has the yeah that has really impressive uh, exterior design, but the interior design I didn't quite see up to the standard. But you drove a KDM market car, right? That's right. So it could be different when they bring a higher trim to North America. You're 100 percent right about that. It could be. Um, so when you think about just how much this car can do. At forty-four or forty-six thousand uh, dollars, depending on the on the powertrain, the all-wheel drive or front-wheel drive, it's kind of impressive to be honest. This really does feel like a, like something much more expensive, closer to like a, let's say, uh, a Navigator in some ways, which wow, is really, a that's... very powerful vehicle because of that powertrain that it sports and it's very large as well. What Navigator so, is kind of a that's that's a very strong statement given how improved the Navigator is for this year. I mean, last, it's last not, year, I guess. I mean, the Navigators we know and that we drive are like these one hundred thousand dollar vehicles, and I think the Palisade is not far from that standard. Not far from that standard. I'm not saying it's a perfect competitor to that, but if you feel un- uncomfortable spending that much money on a on a three row vehicle, the Palisade for half that price, well, really impressive. So it's a fifty thousand dollar vehicle in the U.S. market. Yeah. Okay, that seems very reasonable from what you've described. I mean, I, I'm driving in, in in about a month, so I'm very curious now that you've you've said all of this. I'm, I'm going to definitely be looking for all of this. Uh, but like I said, I think the powertrain needs to be updated. It needs to it needs something to match the rest of how premium the vehicle felt. Uh, I didn't have any complaints with the transmission. I don't have very many complaints about the way it drives. I mean, it's a three row crossover. It's not going to I, any complaints about the steering suspension in this. Don't, don't go as far as your complaints um, that you had in the MX-5, for example. They just but you, you don't do matter. want it to be comfortable. You want it to be smooth. And and, you want and it- that is the case. I think yeah. it's extremely quiet, too. Um, and, and these are the things that just make this Palisade feel like a class above the rest of this, this segment. So um, it, why would you buy a luxury brand instead of the Palisade? Like why, I, and, and by luxury brand, I mean, like, why would you buy like a second-tier luxury brand yeah, like, like a Acura, Buick or a Acura or, Buick, or a like, Lexus or Do you think that this outperforms vehicles in that segment from those automakers? Like is this better than an MDX? I think this is better than I'll I'll say definitively it's better than an on, a Buick Enclave, which is an actual pretty an actually pretty good car. I know yeah, that sounds like an insult. No, it is uh, pretty to, good. To most people who haven't been in a in, in this vehicle, the Enclave is actually quite good. I see the Palisade better than that. Um an MDX is not as spacious has a better powertrain because you can get it with um, that um, sport hybrid model, which is very good. Yes. Um, and has, I think, more attractive exterior design. And it doesn't have that giant knob. <laughs> <laughs> that giant Acura that knob. The RDX, that the RDX has. Yes. Um, so there are really compelling cases to be made there. I think, honestly, the Lexus RX um, L, the one with that third row... Yes. Which is a complete afterthought. That third row is garbage. Then <laughs> it's completely useless. This is going to be the actual car that you want to buy if you're a Lexus RXL buyer, and you look at that third row and you go, "That's nothing's going to fit back there." Wow. Um, the Palisades third row is usable. It's functional. The rest of the car feels just as premium. It just doesn't have the brand recognition that all of these other third, uh, second tier luxury cars have. That's what you're buying when you get 
um, uh, an Infinity or a uh, an Acura or a Lexus or any of the other a luxury brands that you don't get with the Palisade. Just something that says I'm special because of this badge on the front. The yeah, Palisade definitely. is the cheat code into that into that market segment without needing to spend that much money. On it. That, that's a really really good way to put it. Uh, and I think Hyundai has you know Genesis was their ultimate cheat code into that segment and now that's trickling down to the rest of the lineup and that's really great to see and and, and you know the the veloster n is your cheat code into the hot hatch segment mm-hmm. uh, if you want something that's boisterous and doesn't cost as much as a civic type r i mean i wish i could list out all of the functions but we'd be here we'd be here all the features that this car has but we'd be here forever like we should have a the- secondary podcast where you just read spec sheets <laughs> like and every once in a while you go like oh yeah or mm, you know like when you get to the part that you really like like uh, third row heated seats mm, or five moon roofs mm. <laughs> um but what do what like what else can i tell you about it uh, it had it had heated and vented second row seats it had um a third row a third zone climate control it does had, it have a fridge no ah it doesn't it has power retracting, uh, power folding, and power reclining third row seats. Okay. Are, Can you crazy. record them? Can you recline them like totally flat? Asking for a friend. Recline them back, like a bed, basically. <laughs> yeah. What? What? Well, you said it, not me. <laughs> I think like, if you fold all of them forward, it's a. It's a, it's a no, it's not the same. Space. It's not the same. Like I want to go camping, <laughs> and I need I need padding for that. Right for your um, camping for your excur- your camping excursions. <laughs> yeah, uh, for when you pitch a tent, or you don't wow. want to pitch a tent. What is it? I you know what? Let's just move on. <laughs> um, that's that's. I, I was really impressed. I really i I thought it would just be a badge engineered tel- Telluride, basically just the same thing in different colors and a different uh, body. But it does feel and look something special. If you had $100,000 and you had to buy a three-row SUV, what would it be? It has to, if I had that $100,000, no problem. That Navigator is perfect. Okay. But right. if I feel bad about spending $100,000 on, on a Navigator... Why do you feel bad? Was, because it's, an ex- it's talk, a lot of money. Talk man. about your feelings? <laughs> well, I mean, we've got other things we need to buy these days. Like what? Know. What do you have to buy, Sammy? Oh, you know, I'm in the middle of... of Buying, uh, uh, paying for a wedding right now. So wow, okay, that makes sense. I guess love <laughs> is important. <laughs> it's expensive and has a dollar value. <laughs> oh dear, that's gonna get me in. in Shout real out to fun. Sammy's fiance. Uh, that's so, it for this week. That, is there anything else I want to talk about? Uh, I, I want to talk might about be it forever now. Now I that wanna, my fiance hears this podcast, I, I want to talk about the super sad thing that happened to my dadson this week, oh, yeah. which is uh, I was an idiot. Um, I went to walk down a couple of notches. I, I went to Watkins Glen International, which is an amazing racetrack I'd never been to before. It's in the heart of uh, beautiful upstate New York. Um, it's a very very fast track, probably the fastest track I've had this car on. And uh, I discovered a few things about the car this this week. One is at uh, uh, the terminal velocity for my Datsun with the current gearing setup seems to be around 115 miles an hour, and that's in fifth gear, which is an overdrive gear. And at that point, there's so much air messing around with the front of the car <laughs> that it moves around. Um, and it moves around to the point where if I put my arm outside the car to point someone by who's passing me, it has an impact on the the, the direction of the car. Like it actually pushes the, yeah, it pushes the car from one side to the other. I was on the straight after the, there's an uphill S section at Watkins Glen 
And at the top of that straight is the fastest part of the track for me. And you get very close to a line on the pavement, which on the other side of is grass. And the car was moving laterally away and towards that line. And it was freaking me out a little bit. And I've never sustained that speed before in the Datsun. So it was my first chance to really feel how the air was lifting up the front of the car. So aero kind of needs some work on the vehicle if I'm going to flirt with that again. Um, but also what needs work is the fact that I forgot to check the oil the morning of the event. And I'm going to uh-huh. tell you why this happened. Because a couple of weeks before, I hadn't driven the car a lot. A couple of weeks this 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 past month, a couple of weeks before the event, I checked the oil. It was fine. The day I drove to Watkins Glen from Montreal, which is about 350 miles, I um, I didn't check the oil, but I looked under the car for a puddle. There was no puddle, which means it's not leaking, which means the oil level should be the same. I got to Watkins Glen, did two sessions, checked the oil. I'm down to L on the on the dipstick, from which means low, which is not great because when you're on a racetrack, you're you're really you need uh, that. yeah. Well, the oil is moving in the oil pan quite a bit, and it can move away from the pickup uh, for the pump, and that means that when you're in a in a, in a G loaded corner. The engine's not oiling properly. And I have 4.4 quarts in the car when it's full. I was down about a quart. So that's 25% almost of the engine oil was not in there. Uh, the car drove really strong. I had no problems. I put in a quart, kept driving. Everything was fine. The day Later that afternoon, I'm leaving. I hear this weird kind of like transient knocking sound from the engine. I'm like, oh, man, this is terrible. But I drove home 350 miles. It's it's blowing a ton of oil, and that's why I believe it was down a quart. Like if you put your hand under the exhaust, it comes up black. Like it's like getting black freckles on the palm of your hand. Um, okay. Yeah. So I get home. Everything's fine. It cut out a couple times while I was driving. Uh, I think that's because the oil is starting to coat the spark plugs. And um, anyway – I took it to my mechanic today, and we used a stethoscope. And I think on cylinder two, it, there's like a like a really crazy knock, which is probably rod knock, which means probably a bearing on 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 the uh, a bearing. Anyway, engine bearing is is messed up, which means probably I need a new engine in the Datsun, which makes me so sad, Sammy, because I'm currently in the middle of putting an LS engine in my Grand Wagoneer. So now I have a second engine project <laughs> at the end of the season. Like I have one more track event. I'm going to have to take my Cadillac uh, instead because I don't, I'm not going to put an engine in the Datsun in the next two weeks. Um, it's, it's a possibility. It's something else. It could be they're going to, we're pulling the oil pan. We're going to look for bits of metal. We're going to see what we yeah. can see on the, on the rocker, on, on the, on the, uh, the pistons and whatever, what we can see from below the engine um, on the rods. But it's looking like it's probably not a stretch timing chain or valve train noise. It's probably definitely something terminal. So this engine, it's 42 years old. It takes a heap of abuse all the time on a regular basis. Yeah. And uh, I'm sad to see it go because it was really strong. Yeah, I, even during the day, like with this issue that was developing, it never gave up on me. So uh, RIP to that 2.8 liter straight six and I'm going to be looking for a similar engine to put into it, maybe from a little bit newer Datsun, but still stay in the L28 family. Okay, but Ben, I want you to I want you to say a couple of things because I think some people who aren't into uh, tracking their vehicles or are are have been thinking about tracking their vehicles, they sometimes hear like stories like this, and they get very nervous about the the running cost of of this kind of hobby. And I want you to to reiterate that your car is is pushed to the limit far more than than some other people's um 
daily car daily drivers or or other vehicles like that um or what type of what type of expectations you had with your well, vehicle if you're track. not if you're an idiot like me and don't check the oil the morning before your track day yeah you're gonna have problems but consider that this is a i've been beating on this car for three years it's been living at redline pretty much the whole time on the racetrack in that it's period 40 year old car too. it's a 40 year old car of indeterminate mileage <laughs> And I think three years is pretty damn good. Like, this car has conservatively a thousand race laps on it. And when I say race laps, I mean, like, you know, high-performance high lapping day events, uh, high-performance driving events, sorry, and some time trial stuff. But it, it's not babied. It's not babied at all. And I'm getting a ton of oil blow-by at this point, and, you know, things are starting, seals are starting to wear out, and all kinds of things like that. But that's to be expected. Like, I probably was going to have to do some work on the engine anyway, in the head, but or or maybe the piston rings. But um, the, the fact that it lived this long, and, and it took me doing something stupid to kill it, really, it's, it's a testament to how strong the L-Series engine is. But if you really take care of your – if you have a car that has a non-problematic motor anyway – and you take it mm-hmm. to a racetrack, and you take care of it, uh, you're not really going to have any issues. That right. being said, the guy beside me in the in my pit stall, uh, he has a 2018 or 2019 GT350. He is on his third engine. What? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yes. His hold, third... up, hold the door. I mean, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus here, but a GT350, either 2018 or 2019, you said? Yes, and they've all been replaced under warranty by Ford with absolutely, well, yeah. How absolutely else... no questions asked because there is a, I believe, flex plate problem with the engine that transmits vibrations directly to the block and eventually cracks it. Holy cow. It's a known issue for the GT350. It's not something people are talking a lot about. But uh, he had one of his engines. The second replacement engine failed almost immediately. Like very low mileage when it happened. Uh, On the track. I'm not sure the second time. Uh, The first time. I mean he uses it for the track on a regular basis. But uh, that's what it's designed to do. So anyway, uh, if you're a GT350 owner and you want to talk to us about this or if you've had similar issues, we'd love to hear from you. But this is kind of the first time I was hearing about this problem. And I had read a review recently, actually, I think it was in Road and Track, where they were comparing – it was a good review – comparing the Supra to the GT350. And they mentioned that above 6,000 RPM, there was so much vibration in the GT that it became unpleasant. And this is an engine that redlines at like 8,250, right? Yeah. So I was talking to the the guy about that, and he's like, oh, yeah, the vibrations are really an issue, and the vibrations are what caused the problem and kills your motor. Wow. Uh, I've taken my car to the track a couple of times, um, and I've done exactly as you mentioned. I've always checked the oil before. Um, and, and made sure, you know, also you can check, uh, other, other things like, um, like br- the brake fluid and the, um, and the tire pressures as well, just to make sure that everything is in good condition before, yeah. um, before, you know, putting the car through some, some stressful environment. Um, and I haven't had any issues, but I remember that being something that was drilled into me very early on, um, in my career that if you're going to do, if you're going to put your cars through, uh, this kind of stuff, you've got to make sure that they're ready. They're ready and- for it. I also want to say this engine, um, twice on a racetrack, has had almost has had catastrophic coolant failure. <laughs> like I, I blew I, uh, the seal on the water pump two years ago on a racetrack, got it into the pits, and didn't cook the motor. Managed to repair it and drive home. And then this year, uh, two things happened. At the beginning of the year, I had a the the alternator. Uh, there was a bolt holding the alternator to the engine, the mount bolt, and it loosened to the point where it threw the belt. And when it threw that belt, it uh, it stopped the water pump. 
So uh, the water, the the radiator, the coolant heated to the point where it blew out underneath the cap because the cap doesn't seal 100%. Um, but it, it really heated the engine. I got into the pits, fixed it, actually did drove for the rest of the day on the track. No problems. Those are two kind of crazy things. In the you're, engine. Basically what you're saying is your car has had a death. Has it, had, yeah. it had an out for your motor. And <laughs> and I missed a shift early this year oh, yeah, and, and knocked, a, knocked a rocker arm off. And drove it home like that. Um, so kudos to Nissan Datsun Engineering. <laughs> it's really it's really tolerant of a lot of bad things happening. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sure we're eager to hear more updates about um, your Datsun and what you'll be doing in the near future. I think it's, what, it's going to be a winter project or a fall project. Who knows? I, know. I mean, so many projects. Um, if you are eager, as eager as I am, you should probably uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet. And you should do that by going to the unnamed automotive web uh, unnamed automotive podcast website that's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com that's the same one i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast um podcast, or, you podcast, can podcast. Sub- or you can subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast client you just search for us unnamed automotive podcast and bam we'll be there i promise all over the internet everywhere uh, while you're at our website, you can – Ben, stop interrupting here. I'm trying to tell people how they can find our old episodes because for whatever reason, people like some of our older episodes more than our current ones. I think it's ben. because we were more youthful and uh, I think we just were less cynical and had a more, you know, eager yeah. view of the world. <laughs> well, they can do that by going to the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You can see photos of the cars that we're testing. Um, and while you're at the website, you can get in touch with us. There's a contact form there. Just fill that out. It goes right into our inboxes. And, um, that's my favorite way of getting in touch with us. You but you think? can also use social media if you would prefer to do that. And I know a lot of people do. You can reach Sammy on the cesspool that is Twitter where he spends his time. It's at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. I prefer Instagram because people are friendly. They post cool photos and, and no one's mean to me there. Um, it, at Hunting Benjamin is where you'll find me. And you can also email me the old-fashioned way. Like let's say you're trapped in a lighthouse and you only have like a, like a, an old telegraph machine and you know Morse code, and you, you want to Morse code me an email, it's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. I will come rescue you from that lighthouse if it's convenient. It's a true story, honestly. If it's convenient it's tr- for me. <laughs> it is a true story. Not that you've saved them, but you were like, I'm sorry, I can't do it today. I'm on a, I, I have tickets. I may concert. call the authorities and alert them to your location. <laughs> yeah, that helps. Just the same. Hope you so, have enough food. <laughs> so thank you all for listening. Um, Sammy, what are you I, talking about next week? I completely forgot what car i have next week so that's a good question to ask what are you driving next week um i'm going to be talking about the it's 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 a little a little weird um i'm going to be talking about the volkswagen jetta goli okay and uh i i it's weird because well we'll talk about it next week well next week i actually have a a mini three-door so as in um yeah a mini cooper three-door so we get it it. okay i'm just making sure you understand (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> so thank you everyone for listening and uh congratulations to our contest winners and we'll talk to you next week take care and bye